0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. This podcast is mainly for people who want to improve their English by listening to native English speakers and at the same time to learn more about life in this country. This episode may also be of interest to those people who just want to know more about the particular subject that we are covering. In today's episode, one of our team, Elsa, is interviewing a farmer and cheesemaker. These people come from a small town in Yorkshire called Todmorden. Although it is in Yorkshire, it's very close to the border with Lancashire, another large area on the western side of the north of England. The two individuals have quite strong accents which are a mix of the Yorkshire and Lancashire accents, but I think you will find them relatively easy to understand. As usual, we will produce a transcript of this episode, which will appear on our website in a few days' time. You can find that at www.staugustincentrehalifax.org.uk And in this address, Saint is abbreviated to S-T. The transcript includes notes about some of the more difficult vocabulary and two of the words are picked up in our language support section at the end of the episode. So now over to Elsa.
1: This is Elsa from the podcast team. Welcome to another episode in my series which focuses on the different aspects of food and drink in the UK. As an island nation, the UK has an evolving food tradition going back over many centuries, especially from the 15th century onwards, when European ships were bringing spices and other new ingredients from all over the world. Immigration has always played an important part in the food traditions of the UK and today this means that food from countries like India, Pakistan, Italy and China are now a normal part of the British diet alongside more traditional dishes like fish and chips and shepherd's pie. Each region of the UK has its own specialities and the area local to the St Augustine Centre in Calderdale is no exception. In a previous episode we heard about a family bakery business and in this episode we are meeting the owners of a small local farming and cheese making business. Well this morning I'm up in the hills between Hebden Bridge and the border town of Tomondon Todman is on the borders between Calderdale and Lancashire. and delighted to be with two farmers, well, one farmer and one cheesemaker. I have with me Carl and Sandra. Uh, hello. Hi. And they're going to tell us about their fascinating business as dairy farmers and cheesemakers. So, I don't know who wants to start. Do you want to start, Carl, and talk about the, the um,
2: cheesemaking, or would you first... I'll well, start with the farm. It's uh, mm-hmm. Sandra's family farm. From 19, uh, You've been here since 1920,
3: what was it? 1926. Me, personally, I've been here since 1926. <laughs> no, my family's been here since 1926. My grandad um, came as a tenant. Um, there's two small holdings together. He came as a tenant to Pet Seniment um, af- after the First World War, and then he bought it with his two sons in the 1950s. And then when my mum and dad got married, they bought High Reesley, which is where we are now, where we milk the cows. Oh. Um, and unfortunately both the brothers have, have passed away, but um, my brother and me have carried on milking, and then Carl started making the cheese. Peck's Tenement is an interesting name. What's the history behind that? Well, on and, on and off, it's been called that since the 1600s when it was built, but it has they have changed the names um, a little bit. Um, this, Eastleigh used to be Eastwood Hall, and then they built Eastwood Hall, um, so they, they do change. But we believe that it means um, the pecs means pigs and the tenement means a tenement, as in a lot of people oh. live there. All oh, right, OK. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it
2: 1901. There were ten families
3: lived live in the pecs, pecs tenement. tenement. I don't know where they put them all. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we can just hear three small calves. How old are they, these calves I can just see in front of me?
3: Um, they are... Um, between a week and two weeks old.
1: Right. Okay. They're babies. So how, m-
3: how many cows do you have on the farm? Um, we've sixty that milk. Um, obviously, not all at the same time. Some of them are waiting to give birth. Yeah. Um, and we've got the, all the followers, probably about thirty um, young young ones coming up. And what breed of cows are they? They are MRI, which is Mercerine Issel, which is a Dutch breed and it's named from where the three rivers meet. They come from there, and they are, um, strangely, they're really good on the hillsides, even though they come from a flat country, and the milk is very good for cheesemaking, which, when we started having them, when we got our first bottle, we didn't know that. We just wanted something that was different um, and sturdier. You're what's known as an organic farm, so can you explain
1: to our listeners what that means? (laughs)
2: <laughs> farming wise, uh, everything is done, it's traditionally done without any chemicals, uh, any additives. Uh, farming wise, you don't put anything on the fields.
3: We, d- we don't use fertilizer, we're allowed to use um, certain things. You have the soils tested, and because um, our soils quite acidic. Um, we're allowed to use things like lime if, if it's needed to bring the ph balance right um, we can use seaweed but we use mainly manure from the cows it's, it's a, a, a rotating um, self-contained ideal and it's what it's how farming always used to be before all these extra things came in um, we are also pwab which is we produce milk without antibiotics so our cows are not Well, when you say not allowed to have antibiotics, obviously if they're ill, they would do, but they would have to come out of the milking herd if if that was the case. They would have to stay in rear calves or something if they've had any antibiotics at all. Um, Because of the way that the the world is going with antibiotic usage, um, in that if it's used too widely, it no longer works. And
2: uh, Cheese-wise, we've got to... We're organic certified with Organic Farmers and Growers... Uh, as a as farm is, uh, but we've got a producer's license. So we've got to prove that ev- absolutely everything that goes into that cheese is, is organic. From uh, the milk is 99% of it. We get certain bacteria and cultures from France, they're all certified organic. And things like the water, we have to have the water tested to prove that there's no, uh, no chemicals that could, could get into the, into the cheese from there. So it's quite a process as a producer doing organic products and we have an inspection once a year to go through all this. It takes, uh, takes a full day to get through it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're quite a small farm. Did, presumably that presents particular challenges, particularly today with all the regulations and bureaucracy.
3: Yes, the, it, it is quite challenging. And as you say, it, there's not economies of scale of, of scale. Well, there, there are economies of scale for the big farmers. Everything that we do well. They have to do as well, but obviously they're only they can have four or five farms, and they'll only have to do it once. And uh, you know, it, it, it is quite a, there is quite a burden of of, of uh, paperwork and mm. and uh, regulations and things. Um, my brother's always trying to say, you know, it should be different for smaller farms, just like it should be different for smaller shops or whatever. But everybody needs the same, all the same certification needs. Yep. Have things changed since
1: the UK left the European Union, what we call Brexit? Uh,
2: on the cheese, there's been no difference at all, really, uh, because we get the milk from the farm and we sell the cheese within a thirty-mile radius of the uh, of the farm. So um, we don't we don't export or um, we don't particularly import anything to make the cheese. Which, the cultures come from France, but the, the supply of those has not changed at all since since Brexit. So nothing really changed. The farm's slightly different uh, with the OMSCO, the milk cooperative. Uh, so OMSCO is the cooperative that you yeah. sell all the, the milk. Or, milk yeah, through.
1: the organic uh, yes.
3: milk suppliers, and they were they were sending milk to, to organic milk to France, and, well, other continental countries, and I believe there was quite a difficulty with that at first. But all those things, I think, have been overridden by COVID, and then the, this—the thing in, in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine—is the thing that is going to make the most difference, I think, because hi. <laughs> so much, um, so much of the. Of, uh, well not just animal feed but person feed comes from the Ukraine and from Russia and I think that's going to affect everything much much more it's, it's going to be much seri- more serious I think. We're living in difficult times yeah, The difficult. pandemic
2: uh, as a cheese producer uh, within within a few days of it starting the orders went uh, completely berserk the, the online shop with people buying locally and things because they were all stuck indoors we uh, were just we just spent day after day supplying cheese to uh, direct to people's houses, and the uh, the wholesalers. This our wholesalers supply organic shops, and those type of things. And the demand from them uh, increased dramatically during the during the pandemic.
1: So, can you tell me a little bit about the history of your cheese? Well, before we started this conversation, you took me into the cheese making area, and you showed me this wonderful exercise book that yeah. you have with the recipe. <laughs>
2: Here we found uh, in a drawer with all the old things that are stored on a farm because nothing ever leaves a farm. We've got the exercise books written out by uh, Sandra's great aunt, uh, what was she called? Aye. Annie. Annie. Uh, Sandra's great aunt Annie who uh, wrote everything down and there's a recipe for, uh, for, for cheese which was, it was written out as a recipe for French cheese but they never used a French uh, white mould so the cheese that they made was was similar to Lancashire, Cheshire type cheeses, Wensleydale, those type of things, and they used to make those on the farm in the 1920s, it all died out in the 1940s.
1: So I think that is interesting because, you know, I see your products like brie in my local shops and it's something that I would connect with France, so I was yeah. really interested to hear your explanation that there was a tradition here that perhaps was yeah. long forgotten.
2: I don't know where they got the, uh, the French recipe from, but they, they did and they wrote it out in the 1920s and, that's basically what we make now. But with a few little tweaks on it. We actually get the, the mould from, from France, so we make the, the white moulded cheeses.
3: I think all over the world, though, farmers started making cheese. They started developing just to, pre- to make, preserve the milk for a little bit longer. And I think things grew in different places without people knowing um, what other people were doing. It's like um, you've got Feta, aren't you? And in, 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 uh, we make a product called um, Pexo Blanco, which is based on a South American recipe of Queso Blanco, which is similar to Halume, which is similar to Panilla mm-hmm. yeah. and all these places that would be making this, this product to preserve the milk, not knowing that the other side of the world were also making. This product which is a really interesting yeah, the,
1: example for, for our audience which is you know people who've come to the UK from all over the world and often listening to these podcasts yes. around the world
2: yeah. So. yeah the reason we make this this thing called queso blanco which is a South American version of uh, alumna and paneer is because to make it organic you need to put an acid in it to, to solidify the milk but it's much easier to get organic white wine vinegar which is what they use in South America than to get organic lemon juice which is what they use in India to make uh, paneer. So we, we chose to make this South American version simply because it's easy to get the organic products. Uh, and that's entirely why we did that. Uh, uh,
1: so where do you sell your cheese? You've mentioned online and local shops.
2: Yeah, we have, a, we have a, an online shop, so that sells directly to public. The most, most of the cheese goes to, we've got two wholesalers. One's called Organic North, uh, based in manchester that supply all organic shops uh, and restaurants throughout the uk uh, and the other one is called Wellick's. Uh they supply restaurants so we the main two cheeses that we make the brie and the blue cheese uh, we sell the the vast majority go to those two wholesalers and then it gets distributed then throughout the uk and we do lots of uh we're not do we're not do as many as we did but we do markets and food festivals and things
3: we, and, and we supply local, local shops. Yeah, lots with, of local shops. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and hopefully... it's and in Bridge and it's everywhere in those shops. Yeah,
3: hopefully soon, you know, we will all be able
1: to go to local <laughs> markets and food <laughs> festivals.
2: And yeah, they pick it up a little bit. But uh, before the pandemic of things, we sold the vast majority that we saw was actually at food festivals, directs to the public. Then it all switched around. During the pandemic, the, the wholesalers started selling a lot more.
3: So how many people do you employ here?
2: Uh, on the farm, for well, you
3: um, On the farm, there's my brother and I. We've had an apprentice who's just finished, so he's doing a little bit, carrying on doing a little bit for us. Um, we've got a work experience girl who's at university, who you might have seen today in passing. She's, when she's home, she, she works for us. Other than that, that's it. And on the um, cheese is
2: just me and the part-time assistant, and Sandra does part-time on the cheese as well. So basically, me and two part timers on the cheese. Yeah.
1: So typically, how many cheeses
2: a week or a month do you well, we, we, produce? We make cheese six times a month. Uh, we do four hundred liters, and I think over the year we, we make between two thousand and three thousand kilos, which is very very small for for, for a cheesemaker. Uh, we, we could scale it up a little bit, but uh, everything's just set for that. That type of volume. Yeah,
1: but you have such a loyal following locally. I think
2: it's really (laughs)
1: delighted local people that there is a cheese that comes from these hills.
3: There's still quite a few people that don't know about it. Well, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that live
2: locally.
3: (laughs) Every time we do something locally, somebody will say, Oh, is this made in Tomerdon? (laughs) It (laughs) is. Just because
1: our audience are not English speaking as a first language, your accents, would you say you
3: were typical of Lancashire accents? well, here, from here accents. I was, I was born yes. here. Which is it's interesting because it's a border. <laughs> yes. We're
1: very close to Yorkshire. We're, well, we are in Yorkshire. Yes. Are we technically yes. in Yorkshire here? Yeah.
3: But within a mile or so, two miles into Lancashire? Yeah, and the accents are very different everywhere, yeah. aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think my accent changes a little bit with the people <laughs> that I, I'm, I'm with when, before I came back to the farm working. Oh. Um, I used to work for what was then the Halifax Building Society and I worked with a lot of people who were from Rochdale and my accent changed very, very much then because I was with them all the time. Yeah. It's interesting how we adapt to the people yeah. yes. we're with, yeah. is not
2: it? Yeah, yeah we've basically got this uh, unique accent in Tomlin and uh, there's nothing like it, is there? It?
3: Well, it's an amalgamation, I think, of all the people all, are, all, around us. all the people that have come to us from all, all sorts of different places. Yeah. I mean, Hebden Bridge particularly has got a... A lot of people who originated from the south of England, because of the um, there were incentives to get people to come to Bridge because Hebdenbridge was a dying, dying, town at one time. So in the 70s, a lot of people came from many areas of the country, well and abroad. <laughs> <laughs> so this is great. It's been such
1: an interesting story. I mean, I've been aware of you, but didn't know all the sort of real detail, particularly the French. Yeah. <laughs> heritage behind the cheese and the history of it. Really appreciate your spending time, a busy start to your day, milking time <laughs> happening around us and
2: yep, we've got Carl
1: a... about to start cheese making I think, are Yeah.
2: Uh, well, We've got a wholesaler coming to pick some orders up so I've got to get all the order ready right. this morning.
1: Well that's great, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank
3: you.
0: Language support, this is the part of the podcast where we choose some of the words or phrases from this episode and talk about them. Today I'm going to pick up on two words that had a very particular meaning in this episode, but which also have other broader meanings. And in this section I'm going to provide a rather simplified version of these different meanings. So the first word is organic. Now in general terms the word organic usually means relating to or obtained from living things. In this episode we were talking about organic food, that is food which is grown without the use of synthetic, that's man-made chemicals such as pesticides and fertilisers. To claim that food is organic the product must be certified by an official body, that is an official body body will check that it meets the necessary criteria. There are many organic certifying bodies in the world, most of whom work closely with each other. The best known organic certification body in the UK is the Soil Association. In this episode we also referred to an association that was in America. And there are also European ones. However, the word organic can also have another meaning. We can talk about a business or an activity of some some kind being organic. And what that means is that it grows naturally, it develops within itself, without lots of outside influence. So you could say that a business was growing organically, meaning that over time it developed naturally within its own resources. The second word I'm going to choose is culture. In this episode, we were using culture as part of the cheese making process. Cultures are a group of bacteria introduced to the milk to make a particular type of cheese. And each type of cheese has its own culture. In many cases, These cultures go back many generations, as in the case in this episode. However, the word culture, as I'm sure you know, has other meanings as well. You can talk about the culture of a society or a group of people. So that's about the ideas, customs and social behaviours that are most common amongst that group of people or that society. You can talk about Western culture, for example. Or you can talk about the culture of an organisation. And then there is the use of culture in an artistic sense. So we can talk about the arts in the broadest sense as being cultural. So if you talk about the cultural activities of a society that often refers specifically to the arts, visual arts, music, sculpture, architecture, that whole range of artistic activities can be generally described as culture. That's it for this week. I hope you found this episode useful. A reminder that you can find the transcript in a few days' time on our website and that is also where you can find out more about the work of our charity which supports in particular asylum seekers and refugees. And if you are in a position to do so and would like to donate or help us in any other way You can find out how to do this on the website. That address again is halifax.org.uk Goodbye for now, take care of yourselves and keep practising your English.
1: In this podcast, we're exploring the cooperative movement in the UK, which is part of a vast worldwide movement of around 3 million cooperatives, normally known as co ops, with about 1.2 billion members. Cooperative UK, a network that supports the thousands of co ops describes a co-op as a business or organisation that is owned and controlled by its members to meet their shared needs. The members can be its customers, employees or workers, a local community or suppliers, all of whom have a say in how the co-op is run. Co-ops normally offer education and training to everyone involved so that they can develop and promote the benefits of cooperation. A co-op supports the communities it works with. Co-ops have a long history and the modern day co-op in the UK was founded in Rochdale, Lancashire, one of the neighbouring counties of Calderdale, in 1844, by a group known as the Rochdale Pioneers or to give them their official name, the Rochdale Society of Equitable Pioneers. The aim of the Rochdale Pioneers was to provide an an affordable alternative to the poor quality and adulterated food and provisions that were available to most ordinary people at that time, using any surplus or profit to benefit the community. In legal terms, food adulteration is the act of intentionally reducing the quality of food offered for sale either by the addition or substitution of inferior substances or by the removal of some valuable ingredient. Today, there are strict rules in place for the supply of food in the UK. But back in 1844, this was a huge step forward towards the provision of healthy food for ordinary people. The Industrial Revolution in the 18th and 19th centuries dramatically changed the lives of many people whose livelihood had been based on agriculture and who by 1844 were living and working in towns and cities, usually in very poor conditions. By 1860, there were already more than 200 co-ops in the north of England. Today, there are more than 7,000 co-ops in the UK, with over 14 million members. The largest co-op, known as the Cooperative Group, is one of the world's largest consumer cooperatives, owned by millions of its members. They are the UK's fifth biggest food retailer, with more than 2,500 local convenience medium-sized stores or shops. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from two consumer co-ops based in Calderdale in West Yorkshire in the north of England.